It's Monday, January 24th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Recent polls by NBC News don't paint a good picture for people's views about the country or the party in power. Large majorities feel that the country is not going in the right direction. Households feel like they're falling behind economically, and that political polarization will continue for some time. Ginger Gibson, deputy Washington digital editor at NBC News, joins us for bad polls, and Senator Joe Manchin is ready to negotiate on the Build Back Better plan. Next, what does it mean to be asymptomatic? As COVID guidelines constantly change around us and infections keep spreading, many people don't want to believe a sniffle or a scratchy throat could be a symptom. To be clear, being asymptomatic means you feel your best and aren't taking any medications to manage symptoms such as a headache. Ali Volpe, contributor to Vox, joins us for what to know. Finally, supply chain issues continue to affect many industries, and for anyone that has been trying to buy furniture, you know the pain all too well. Deliveries on couches and other furniture can be up to seven months in some cases, and people are having to get by with beanbags and beach chairs until their orders come. Rachel Wolf, consumer trends reporter at the Wall Street Journal, joins us for why you might be waiting a while on that couch. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. The choice between a party that works for people and is focused on the future, and a party that's completely controlled by one man and is focused on relitigating the past. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Ginger. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about some recent polls that just came out from NBC News. We're less than 10 months away uh, to go before the midterm elections, just as a, as a primer, right? Polls are just as kind of a snapshot of what's happening right now, but it doesn't really look good for Democrats. There's a long way to go, but it, it's pretty bad. The broad strokes are, you know, people think the country is going in the wrong direction. They feel like they're falling behind uh, economically. And they feel that the political polarization is going to be continuing for some time to come. The new NBC poll out Sunday morning was really dire. People are not happy. More than 70% of those polled believe the nation is headed in the wrong direction. That's some of the highest marks we've ever seen as long as NBC has been polling that question. And it's a really bad sign for Democrats. We look back to 2010, to 2016, to 1994. These are elections that also had really negative outlooks by the general public, and it did bad for the party in power in those midterm elections. And we're also seeing a drop in interest and enthusiasm among Democrats. Republicans remain engaged. They are eager to show up in in November, and Democrats' uh, numbers are dropping. They're going in the wrong direction for their party. So things look really bad in these polls. One of the interesting ones, you know, we've been talking a lot about inflation, how high that is. We have a pretty low unemployment right now. A lot of workers feel they have that flexibility to leave their jobs and go other places, but they still feel that the cost of living, 61% say that their households are falling behind. That's right. I mean, that's a really bad sign. And, you know, the president can get up and give speeches and say it's getting better. There's food on the shelves. Inflation isn't that bad. But if people don't feel it, if they're showing up at the grocery store and there's empty shelves, if they're finding that the cost of bread and milk and eggs was more this week than it was a few months ago and their pay hasn't gone up, there's going to be no speech you can give to convince them that it's not that bad. And that's really uh, what President Biden and his party are fighting against. 47% said they still want a democratically controlled 
Congress, uh, 46% said they want the GOP to control that. And they also polled, uh, you know, how they feel about uh, certain figures and the parties themselves. <laughs> and everything across the board is pretty negative. I mean, Joe Biden, 39% positive. Although a Fox News poll said that he had a 47% approval rating, which is pretty high. Um, but uh, down the line, GOP, 34% positive. Dems, 33% positive. Trump, 37% positive. So the positivity ratings for all of these uh, are, are not very good. Yeah, folks are not really confident in the the politicians who are currently on the national stage. Uh, there is not a lot of enthusiasm or warm feelings for them. And really, you know, we can look at this poll and there is this feeling that America is in a bad place. 70% of people said uh, no when asked if the nation could come together. And 76% uh, said that they feel like American democracy is threatened. I mean, that is a bipartisan belief. Uh, rarely do things other than public puppies and, and, you know, kittens pulled that high in the U.S. Senator Joe Manchin, the centrist Democrat, uh, has a lot of power right now in the Senate when it comes to passing the Democratic agenda. And he said he's ready to start negotiating again on the Build Back Better plan, although he wants to start from scratch. So senators are saying, you know, they want to keep the focus on uh, climate and clean energy funding, Affordable Care Act, universal pre-K, obviously taxes to pay for all of it. Uh, but but they're trying to to work with Joe Manchin now. Manchin took his vote and said he wouldn't vote for the previous $1.9 trillion package. So now they're looking at something much smaller, something they think he can get his support for. I still wouldn't write this off. It's not dead completely yet. And I think this is a sign of them talking that they're going to try to get something. There's a lot of motivation among Democrats to find a solution. They don't need Republicans to pass this. And, you know, looking at those bad numbers in November, they want to take something back to their voters and say, look what we did. We're trying to make things better. The Arizona Democratic Party just voted to censure Senator Kristen Sinema for after she voted to to keep the filibuster, which kind of derailed the plans for voting rights legislation. Uh, what, what does that mean in the grand scheme of things that they censured her? often means very little. You know, we've seen a number of Republican state parties censure their members over the last few years for voting for impeachment or voting for the January 6th committee. This is now the Democrats sort of following suit and doing the same because they're unhappy with one of their members. But um, it doesn't mean she can't be on the ballot. It doesn't mean she can't be a member of the party. It just means that they sort of said, we don't like this. And and what we're going to see this week, too, is that there are some senators that do still want to get some stuff done. There is a bipartisan group that is looking to work on election reform stuff. Some of the same players we see uh, on the Republican side, uh, Mitt Romney, Susan Collins, Tom Tillis. On the Democratic side, Joe Manchin, Kristen Sinema, uh, uh, Gene Shaheen. You know, they're getting together. They're going to meet, be meeting by Zoom to see if they can figure anything out. This was written in 2019. I mean, this was legislation that was sort of an old Democratic wish list, and it didn't really respond to any of the problems that we saw arise during the 2020 election and the effort to overturn it. So now they're saying, let's look at the laws that actually could help strengthen the way that our votes get counted and see if we can fix those so that we don't have a repeat of 2020 where the defeated candidates trying to undermine uh, or overturn his loss by using some loopholes in the law. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. The CDC has heard 
a good amount of feedback and questions about the role of testing uh, in these new isolation guidelines. And so they are working on a uh, clarification, if you will, that will help people understand what the role of testing actually may be. Joining us now is Ali Volpe, freelance contributor to the Vox. Thanks for joining us, Ali. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Well, we've seen uh, the big surge of the Omicron variant of COVID-19 still going on. We're hoping to see it start peaking soon, but for now, we're still dealing with it all. And you wrote an article talking about people wondering if they're asymptomatic or not. You know, with the Omicron variant, we're seeing a lot less milder symptoms and infections, thankfully. But sometimes people are saying, oh, I got a scratchy throat. It's something normal. Uh, maybe I'm not, I don't have anything. And they're maybe saying, hey, I'm not going to go test or something. But <laughs> it's very confusing to know what its symptom is and what it is not sometimes. So, Ali, help us walk through some of this. What are we seeing? It is really tricky, especially for people, you know, who have allergies or maybe, you know, they walk outside and their nose is a little runny after walking outside in the cold. And you're like, wait, is this something I should be worried about? And yeah, it's difficult because I think medical experts, they don't have a common definition for what is asymptomatic. But um, what experts have told me is to say that you have no symptoms means you feel your best. And that is including people who have chronic illness, you know, maybe their best isn't 100%. But, you know, how you feel on a good day is how you should classify feeling asymptomatic. We're developing policies around people that are asymptomatic, right? Uh, the CDC, for example, said, you know, if you test positive but you have no symptoms, you can cut your isolation time down to five days. You know, wear a mask, all that stuff still. You know, so we're making policies around this, and it's so confusing to know if you truly are asymptomatic or not. As you mentioned, allergies. I suffer from allergies, so little changes in the weather right away, you know, I can get a stuffy nose, start sneezing, different things like that. And, you know, I've given myself COVID so many times just thinking and worrying about the symptoms. Right. I think it just underscores the importance of testing because, you know, we can work ourselves into this anxiety and sort of like magnify every little ache and pain we have and be like, yep, I have it. I'm sick. Unfortunately, testing still is not as easy as it should be in this country. And yeah, so it's kind of just leaving us on our own to <laughs> inspect how we feel every day, which isn't exactly the most helpful because we get into our heads and I've done this too. Like I'll wake up and I'll be like, Oh my gosh, my throat is a little scratchy, but that could be from, you know, the heater drying me out and I'm sleeping with my mouth open. So you really can sort of work yourself up into this nervousness and truly the only way of knowing is through a test. So one of the things that uh, some of the experts you spoke to obviously said, you know, we got to know what those symptoms are. And that's again, going back to how tough it is to categorize this. Some of these symptoms are, things people experience, you know, every day. But, you know, with the Omicron variant, there are a couple of other things, scratchy throat, sore throat, nasal congestion, muscle pain, including low back pain is one that, that we've seen a lot with Omicron. Yeah. So I guess it's really important to sort of monitor how you're feeling, get a test if you can, and look out for some of those symptoms. And something I've also noticed among people who have gotten Omicron recently is they didn't lose their sense of smell or taste, which I think was a big one for, you know, prior waves of this virus. Like that's a big thing to look out for. And now it's even more confusing if that's not as common. One of the things that experts said, and I think this is a really important one. If you take any medication to manage some symptoms, you probably have symptoms. And if they're, you know, more than one, then you, you know, you're, you're kind of 
already starting to build the case that you might have COVID. So if you need that Dayquil or, you know, some aspirin for a headache, you should already start thinking, I maybe do have something. And, and, you know, to your point, it should be prudent to probably take a test, but you're taking Tylenol, anything like that to help you make a feel better. It might mask something and you might say, well, I'm doing okay. But if you're taking any medication, you know, that's a kind of a telltale sign right there already. Yeah, one of the experts I spoke to had this great quote about, you know, he talks to obviously people who have tested positive. And when you go and talk to them, they would say, oh, I thought I felt fine, but then I had a headache and I was taking aspirin for it and I was blowing my nose and I had a sore throat. And then they realized, oh, maybe I wasn't feeling good at all. I was just, you know, masking it. And if you're masking these symptoms, you're sort of giving yourself an excuse to go out into the world and potentially infect other people, which I know for folks with frontline jobs, you know, it's not so easy just to be like, hey, I'm taking the day off. But yeah, sometimes you feel like, all right, I'm taking an Advil. It must not be that serious. But um, it's important to recognize that if, you know, something feels not good enough to want to treat it, then you need to take that seriously as a symptom. Yeah. Yeah, You know, to the point you made earlier, you know, there is no really baseline for exactly what an asymptomatic person is. We kind of left up to our own devices. You know, that's been one of the the frustrating things with the medical experts, right? When they throw down policies and everything is some of these clearly defined items are just really tough for a lot of people to understand and to handle. So that communication has always been key and it's been a tough one to just get a handle on. Yeah, I think the communication has been really confusing, especially with, you know, the most recent guidelines for isolation. I know a lot of people have just made jokes on Twitter about if A, then B, and sort of making this long convoluted thing as far as when you should isolate and when you shouldn't. But even just reading through some of the guidelines, you have to take a a break sometimes and be like, wait, what is this even saying? So I think, yeah, like being clear with what we should be doing, which is why I liked how these experts sort of laid it out pretty plainly. Like if you're feeling any less than your best and you're treating some of these symptoms, like you should probably be staying home if you can, get a test if you can, and if not, which again, because paid sick leave isn't a thing, you know, mask up, try to stay away from people, especially people you know are high risk. Ali Volpe, contributor to Vox, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. They were doing everything from the beanbag chairs. They were eating dinner. That was where all the socializing was happening. And they ended up selling two of them when they finally got furniture in. But they kept one because it was so comfortable. And he was like, my dog loved it. Joining us now is Rachel Wolf, consumer trends reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Rachel. Thanks so much for having me. We've been talking a ton about supply chain issues and delays and getting products, all that stuff. This is a continuation of that discussion, specifically focusing on uh, couches and and furniture. I'm looking for uh, furniture sets myself right now. I just moved into a new place. I need a bed frame. I need couches, all that stuff. And what you're hearing from a lot of places is that it's going to take months for some things to come in, seven months, up to a year sometimes in really bad cases. So, Rachel, tell us about it. What are people seeing out there? Yeah, I mean, that's sort of the norm right now. And, you know, retailers are saying that things are slowly getting better. But as it stands, people have just been doing without for a really long time and having to get creative to compensate. So what are we seeing? What's causing the delays so far right now? I know manufacturing happens all over the place. 
even just shortage of truck drivers getting things delivered when things are in stock. I mean, it's all the familiar players we've been seeing throughout the pandemic, right? Totally. You, you know, one person that we spoke with, he bought a floor model couch, the sample, and even that took two months to get to his house. He was like, I see it right there, but there were just were not enough delivery drivers to actually get the couch from the showroom to his house in Austin. So you really can't win. But yeah, it's all the it's all the usual factors, the same things that we've been seeing with other goods, just a perfect storm. And as you mentioned, you know, a lot of people are having to get creative in the meantime. They'll buy that couch, they'll buy whatever set they need. And then you need places to sit and relax in the meantime. So beanbag chairs is a popular one, but that's what people are are doing. They're, you know, looking to anything else besides, you know, just in, in their weight. One person that we spoke to who uh, got three beanbags, he had this brand new house, was so excited to show it off to his friends and family, his first time homeowner. And the only furniture in this house for six months was three oversized beanbag chairs from Costco that were in stock. And so they were doing everything from the beanbag chairs. They were eating dinner, the socializing was happening, and they ended up selling two of them when they finally got furniture in, but they kept one because it was so comfortable. And he was like, my dog loved it. Yeah. So what are we hearing from, you know, furniture stores, companies like Living Spaces, where people are going, hoping to get some stuff, even, you know, as you mentioned, resorting to buying floor models, and it still takes time. Uh, I know a, a lot of them are trying to say we want to move some more manufacturing to the U.S., but how are they responding to all this? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think they're encouraging patients. They're saying that they're working to make things better and that things slowly are getting better. A few people that we spoke to for the story, when we spoke to them a little while ago, they were still waiting on their furniture. And then by the time the story came out, it had arrived. So that was some <laughs> a beacon of hope. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, there's definitely reason to believe that things might be clearing up a little bit, but Retailers are doing, I think they're doing the best. And as Living Spaces was saying, they, you know, are hoping to move some more manufacturing here, but just asking customers to be patient while things unjam because you're going to see the same outcome no matter the retailer. Unfortunately, right now, it's seeming like. Tell me the story of Stephanie Hong. She moved from L.A. to New York. And uh, her uh, thing ended up being one problem after another. First, it took a long time for her couch to come in. And then she had to go through some extra steps just to even get into her apartment. Yeah. Oh, poor Stephanie. So she's waiting months and months for the couch to arrive. It finally gets in and then it doesn't fit through the door. So she ends up having to hire what's known as a couch doctor to essentially saw the couch in half to fit it into the apartment and then reassemble it once it's inside. And at that point, she wasn't going to send the couch back. She waited so long for it to get here. So she had to sell out hundreds more just to get it inside the apartment, which, (laughs) you know, it's only imagine her face (laughs) when that happened. Like, just are you kidding me? Rachel Wolf, Consumer Trends Reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. 
I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.